we'll start the meeting. Um, so uh, I'm going to record. Recording in progress. So, uh, good evening and welcome to the Master Plan Implementation Committee meeting for October 20, 2022. Um, I'm Emilio Maro, Chair of the Master Plan Implementation Committee, and joining us today are members Bob McDonald and Alan Rappaport, um, our interim town planner, Jean Manning, and our guest, Tom Birmingham, Chair of the Energy Advisory Committee. Um, so our first item on the agenda is the discussion of the mass plan implementation process. So let me just share the screen. Can everybody see that? Yes. So the, um, so the master plan uh, is a long range vision that um, was developed through a committee meeting uh, process with consultants uh, over about an 18 month period. And um, it, it included residents, businesses, organizations, other stakeholders in town and um, to determine what the future of Canton should look like by 2035. And um, the master plan steering committee uh, worked with Horsley Witten, the consultant to create the master plan, which consists of three books and an, uh, uh, um, an appendix, the three books being a baseline, a roadmap and an action plan. The baseline basically is an existing conditions uh, study. The roadmap is recommendations and, and findings and an action plan. The action plan is how to get to those um, recommendations. In uh, the appendix is mostly studies and data um, from forums and other events that occurred during the, the process. The prior master plan was in, from 2004 and this one replaces it. Um, it uh, was approved, well, it was uh, voted to update the master plan in 2017 at the town meeting and it was approved by planning board in April of 2020. Um, it has a, um, it, the master plan implementation committee consists of nine members and our staff is the town planner. Uh, and it was intentionally designed to be a cross section of a number of different committees in town. So we have planning, select board, conservation, finance, school, a historic commission, economic development, and then currently vacant, but there's a citizen at large and a community preservation committee or playgrounds and rec. Um, and so that was intentional to try to allow for coordination of master plan goals and to um, create a forum for discussions on various items regarding the master plan. Uh, the, from that, those three books, there was a strategic framework devised that was essentially for items for the next five years out of the 15 year length of the master plan process. And it um, covers a wide range of topics, some of which are required in master plans and some of which were focus areas that the town um, it, master plan steering committee and others added to specifically focus on certain items that the town felt were important. So there are such things as housing and neighborhoods. Um, and I'll just quickly kind of scroll through this. Public health and social well-being. 
And, and if you look here, you'll see that there's also, uh, I should go to the top of the page here. So there's a subsection, an action item, and a responsible party. And so um, the responsible parties were uh, uh, departments or others that were identified by the Master Plan Steering Committee as um, parties that would likely um, be responsible for implementing the action items listed there. However, of course, uh, some committees have been formed since then, such as the Energy um, Advisory Committee and even the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And so this will be a, a, a moving, uh, these are suggested responsible parties, but there's no reason why some can't be added as times progress. And also, as times progress, some of these action items may be slightly tweaked. It's a guideline, not a, a, um, a required by the letter action plan. Um, but so uh, then we also have town services, uh, including various elements of inter-department communication, public schools, culture of civic participation. Um, regarding work, there are uh, some action items to um, request uh, to try to further economic development in town and um, which include business growth and marketing the town and targeting properties for opportunities. We have play, which involves recreation and, and open space. Um, connect, which is mostly um, transportation and uh, such things as complete streets and uh, safe routes to school and, uh, th and things like that. And, and that's divided into a few different topics, neighborhood, town-wide and regional. And then we have protect, which is based on historic resources, arts and culture and natural ecosystems and landscapes, which we'll be talking about a little bit more later. And adapt, which is energy conservation and generation. Obviously, we'll be talking about that and natural hazards and climate change. And then these are the focus areas, Canton Junction, downtown, and um, Focus Area Route 138, and um, for folks at home that may not be familiar with it, it's the, the whole master plan is available on the town website, and including some fact sheets and items on that. Tom, I saw you uh, raised your hand. Thanks, Emilio. Just a clarification question in terms of, um, I think you said that the planning board approved the plan. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of um, need for them to uh, vote or reapprove of any particular types of changes? Like you mentioned, there may be additional names or subtracted or some tweaks to the plan itself. Is that does that require approval? Uh, that's a that's an excellent question. Um, we've never uh, tweaked it in a way that it required such a thing. I would think that as long as it was in the spirit of what's already written there, there's some flexibility. If we were gonna add something totally um, uh, that's not included there, I would think then maybe it would need at least a consensus that the planning board thought that was a good idea. I know that uh, I was on the master plan steering committee and it, it seemed to me that uh, it was always a previous town planner, Laura Smeads, um, position that it was kind of a, a guideline that would be a little bit malleable as time went on if you know conditions changed or even in terms of when certain things may be completed 
there there is a, a time frame on different action items such as easy win, short term, long term, and so on. So if all of a sudden something became more or less difficult, it could be moved to long term or short term, uh, things like that. So I think as long as it was consistent with the spirit, um, I would think that it would be okay. But that's a that's a good question. I. Um, it would, I mean, we do have a member of the planning board on the committee, so um, they do get representation on the committee and would have input on that. And a follow-up question, if I may. Mm -hmm. Is a climate action plan, in your mind, a material change that may require um, approval, or if we were to go ahead forward with that, or is that in the spirit of the existing plan? Uh, I would say that um, in the, let me just look at the, where I had mentioned it in my notes here. I think in the sense of educating the community and environmental, uh, let me see if I can scroll with them. Um, in environmental stewardship and in adapt, I think that, I mean, this is my opinion, obviously one would have to consult with planning board to be sure, but where it talks about specifically natural hazards and climate change um, and continuing to implement the public outreach strategies of a town hazard mitigation plan and provide public education to increase awareness of natural hazards and climate change and those sorts of items, I would say that it would be consistent with, at least as my opinion as the chair of this committee, it would be consistent with the efforts to adapt, to prepare the town for adaption um, to changing climate and natural hazards. Um, you know, certainly um, that would be something that um, certainly planning board can all, I mean, it may include some zoning changes or things like that, that certainly planning board would need to be responsible for because they would be responsible for changing zoning. Um, so where we could maybe make a recommendation, the final decision to change something would have to be done by planning board. You know, and I mean, that's true about a number of things on master plan. Master plan is, is a, a committee dedicated to implementing the master plan and creating um, coordination to do so. But a number of things would require action by another department, one of the usually a responsible party listed here to actually do that, uh, you know, whether it be like just on the page I'm on here, schools or public library, or they would obviously have to also bring forward. And that could be in the form of a number of things. Like for instance, if we wanted to put more, uh, you know, electric charging stations at public buildings, it would be up to those departments to maybe bring those forward in their operating budget or their capital budget or something to do. We, you know, we we can't allocate money or funding for any of those things. The committee is designed largely to be um, a coordinator and an you know to help implement and to try to bring different parties into discussion with each other so that some of these things progress. Am, am I also correct in understanding another role of this committee is to report out on the status of each of these action items? Um, it, we do have a report that usually uh, goes into 
last year we it was which was the first year that we were essentially functioning as a committee we did have a report in the uh, town annual report that um, had stated what our priorities had been for that year and some of the outcomes um, i mean some of these things um, you know, are ongoing too and so they they're um, they're, they're not necessarily things where there's a, a goal post in a given year, uh, but some of, you know, like obviously that we've been meeting with a number of different departments to, uh, to try to raise awareness about what actually is in the master plan and try to, um, uh, for instance, with the energy aggregation, uh, energy advisory committee, you know, we created this document of shared priorities and we've done that with other guests we've had Okay. to try to you know it's a it's a longer it's a fifth you know the, the the master plan implementation is a 15 year process and so one of the things we've been trying to do early on is to try to make various responsible parties aware of things that would be shared priorities and many of these things they're they're already doing in some way or another and it's just really kind of trying to make them aware that they're also in the master plan and that the master plan can be a tool that they can use to um, help promote those particular types of policies that are shared. Thank you. Mm -hmm. No problem. Uh, so um, with regard to the discussion of master plan priorities with the Energy Advisory Committee, I'm just going to quickly walk through this document and then Tom uh, created a, a very nice presentation for us and I have it up so we'll sh I'll, I'll show the slideshow and I'll turn it over to Tom. So the Canton uh, master plan uh, items that were uh, also shared priorities with the Energy Advisory Committee uh, mostly came from ADAPT and uh, the natural hazard areas of the master plan. And uh, the guiding principle of ADAPT, I think, uh, can, makes a lot of sense with regard to uh, prioritizing um, how we consume energy as well as other environmental issues that we'll be talking about in the climate action plan. Um, Canton will seek to increase community sustainability through climate adaption and mitigation efforts to increase water waste and energy resource efficiency. And so it, it, to, to again, uh, return to Tom's question, uh, for instance, in this guiding principle of this part of the mass plan, it already talks about seeking ways to adapt, to, to com complete climate adaption and mitigate some of the ways that the town uses resources, which would be consistent, I think, with the climate action plan, uh, in my opinion. Uh, energy conservation and generation, build capacity to meet energy reduction goals, encourage energy efficient equipment and facilities for municipal operations, including schools, the town's largest energy consumer, that reduce energy consumption and costs increase the number of municipal electric and electric uh, energy efficient vehicles, add public charging stations at municipal buildings like town hall, schools, and the library. And um, as I was saying, you know, a lot of these departments are already doing some of these things, and certainly we are starting to see uh, more energy efficient vehicles being purchased by the town and more um, charging capability um, being um, created. And obviously you can't have electric cars if you don't have the capacity to charge them. So one of the goals I think of having the, uh, the town have a energy efficient electric fleets is to be able to figure out the infrastructure 
to make sure that they have the capacity to maintain them. As well as as that technology improves, I'm sure they'll become more reliable for the types of rugged use that the town sometimes uses their vehicles for. Um, so provide opportunities for residents and businesses, review bylaws to clarify the types of solar generation supported by the town, promote the use of state and federal energy rebate and incentive programs to residents and businesses through the town's website and other outlets, review local zoning bylaw and um, lost my place. Review local zoning bylaw and identify new language that would require or encourage residential and commercial electric charging stations. Review the zoning bylaw to ensure that public electric vehicle charging stations level three are not treated similar to traditional fueling stations and can be part of parking garages or standalone and surface parking areas, among other locations. Investigate opportunities for Canton residents and businesses to access affordable renewable energy, evaluate the advantages and disadvantages of a municipal aggregation program in Canton. Um, and, if, you know, of course, some of these, like I was mentioning with the zoning, these would be issues that planning board would definitely have to have the final um, recommendation to go to town meeting because zoning, uh, the planning board recommends zoning and the, the town meeting approves zoning uh, in the end. Uh, and also to some uh, elements of these things of reaching out to businesses may also fall on the economic development committee um, or other um, town uh, departments or committees. And then natural hazard or climate change, educate the community, develop a program for public education to increase awareness of natural hazards and climate change impacts and identify measures individuals can do to prepare and prevent climate change. Uh, this could also include a climate action plan or could draw from some environmental stewardship action items in the protect section of mass plan and the entirety of the adapt section of the master plan. So, um, and just as a point, the parenthetical part of that um, is just a suggestion by, by me. So, um, okay, so, uh, so as I was mentioning, Tom had um, created a slideshow for us for his presentation. So I will um, turn it over to Tom. And when you want me to change the slide, um, just let me know and I, I'll uh, change the slide for us. Sounds good. Thanks, William. And uh, good evening, everybody. Gene, uh, you'll be pleased to know I did change some of these slides, so it won't be totally a repeat from uh, our, uh, what was it, the Mass Area Planning Council's trick group the other day. But as you can see, I'm kind of getting up on my horse here. To facilitate the discussion around our Canton Energy Aggregation Program itself, which is one of the items that uh, is in the master plan, as well as talk about, uh, I'm, I'm using the term sustainability action plan. There's a lot of folks that use that term, um, climate action plan. Uh, I'll, I'll explain why I like the term sustainability, but it's it's just nomenclature. For those of you that don't know my background or in, involvement with the town, I'm chair of the Canton Energy Advisory Committee. I'm one of the commissioners with Bob on the Canton Conservation Commission, and I'm also a board member uh, on the Canton Farmers Market. So got a pretty good lens, and professionally I've spent 30 plus years in energy and environmental uh, areas, particularly on the energy side. So I've got a fairly broad uh, 
understanding of the relationship between climate change, energy consumption, and environmental impact, which is what I'll be talking to you about a little bit later. So, Amelia, why don't we go to the next slide? And I've got a um, couple of goals that I wanted to just kind of frame the discussion. The first is to update you all on the status of the energy aggregation program and then to address what I see as a growing trend among local and state governments to develop a sustainability or climate action plan. Uh, the reason why I use sustainability instead of climate, it's a little more inclusive for some of the things, for example, that are listed in the um, uh, master plan. Um, so we'll just go for the purposes of this discussion with a sustainability action plan um, description if that's okay with you all, and hopefully that makes sense. Um, so next slide, please. So uh, this part of the discussion will just be to update you on the Can Energy Aggregation Program. Uh, so next slide, please. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Can Energy Aggregation Program, this was voted uh, by the town at town meeting, I think it was uh, May of 2021, last year, um, to approve moving forward with the assessment and uh, development and implementation of an energy aggregation program. This uh, basically in a nutshell is to give uh, our Canton residents uh, and businesses an opportunity to purchase energy at, uh, that has been aggregated. Uh, what that means is you, you basically, it's uh, you're getting like a buying club for people to all kind of pool their um, demand and go and offer that demand, that pool demand to the marketplace. And the idea is that you get more negotiating leverage with the pricing, the terms, and most importantly for this particular program is the kind of power that uh, would be offered to the residents uh, with an eye on renewable energy. Um, and renewable energy, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's uh, either solar power, wind power, hydropower, bioenergy, biofuels. Those are examples of renewable energy that we are looking to increase the availability of renewable energy to our residents and our businesses in Canton. So the program is uh, state run or approved, I should say, by the department, the Massachusetts Department of Public Utilities, uh, which I worked at for seven years way back when. So um, the, the approval process, we basically put a proposal in front of the Mass DPU, they approve it, and then we go into the, um, before the select board and ask them if they want to implement this. It's, it's not mandatory. So we, the town has an option throughout this whole process to make a decision whether we want to go forward with this or not based on what we find as a result of going through this process. For those of you that pay your energy bills and your electric bills at home or at your business, you've seen a, quite a spike in energy prices lately. It's a very volatile market right now. So it's throwing some curveballs at us in terms of how we assess the benefits of this program. And we'll make sure that the town citizens understand um, what those options are once we go through a little bit more of the process. 
which is outlined here on this slide. There's basically four stages that we are going through to develop and implement the program. Stage number one is what we're in right now, uh, or sorry, recently completed. Uh, that's the municipal aggregation plan development. Uh, so that includes a program logo and name, uh, program options and option names, um, and then the, whether we want an operational adder. We've made recommendations. The ultimate decision maker on this program is the select board. The Canton Energy Advisory Committee is um, basically a working group of energy and community related experts that look, you know, we've, we kind of do the heavy lift, figure out what might make sense with the help of a consultant to recommend to the select board certain program elements. So we've gone through that phase one with the select board to date, which is good. We're making some progress. Uh, and right now we're in phase number two, which is the educational outreach plan, the development of that plan. And that plan consists of developing and selecting uh, through the board approval, um, a formal announcement, public comment period, uh, a presentation that we'll make to the public and uh, various communications to community organizations. So this is very much a heavy public uh, engagement process with lots of meetings and materials that will go to the public and try to educate people on what this is all about, what their choices are. And people do have an option not to participate if the town decides to go forward with this. And um, so we're kind of in that two to three month window right now with the DPU approval coming after that. And then steps three and four down the road, uh, we haven't started those yet, which is the automatic enrollment notification plan. And then finally, uh, the selection of our supplier and the contract, that's really where the rubber hits the road in terms of what the pricing that we can offer our residents on these renewable resource um, options. So we have a slide, the next slide please, Emilio gives you a visual representation of what I was talking about. Um, there's a, basically these four basic choices. If you look at the description row, Eversource is our electricity provider in, in Canton and they are always going to be there for us. If you decide not to participate in this program, you can use Eversource's basic service. This is an illustrative example to show that at this, in this example, Eversource's basic service is about 17, 18 cents per kilowatt hour. Then we go to Canton Basic. The, the next three programs going left to right are what would be covered by this aggregation program. There, we've proposed and um, gotten approval from the select board to name them Canton Basic, Canton Standard Green, and Canton Plus Green. Those are the program names. In this example, you can kind of see that the Canton Basic goes from 17 cents Eversource Basic, basic to Canton Basic. That's almost 11 cents per kilowatt hour. So there's obviously price savings if you get into this buying group. Uh, we always have to qualify. That's not a guaranteed savings. Um, but history has shown in the 120 other towns that do this in Massachusetts that there typically is a savings by aggregating our buying power. That's the lowest cost option and the least amount of renewable energy. Then you go to Canton Standard Green, which is 11 cents per kilowatt hour in this example. So it's a little higher percentage of renewable energy. In this example, it's 10% above the minimum, uh, which is offered in Canton Basic. 
And then finally, you get to the highest percentage of green under the Canton Plus Green. Um, and that's a little more expensive at 12 cents per kilowatt hour. And in this example, just for as a description, we're hypothetically offering 50% renewable energy. The decision is going to be by the town as to how much, what percentage of renewable energy we want to offer in each of these three categories, or I should say the last two categories, the green categories. Um, so hopefully that gives you a kind of overview of what the program is, the basic components and where we are at this point in the program. Um, are there any questions for me? I know that's kind of pretty, a lot of information all at once, but I'm happy to take any questions. Yeah, Tom, thank, first of all, thank you for doing this. I know it's a ton of work. Um, I wouldn't know where to begin with this and you bring a level of expertise that um, I appreciate. And I know once residents hear of it, they will as well. So um, appreciate all your efforts. Um, my next question is, will this be available for the business community for Canton businesses? Absolutely. Okay, great. And then um, I, I, ironically, I got my um, Eversource bill today and they include a uh, insert of the power sources where uh, I assume it's the whole grid, but 31% mm -hmm. is natural gas, 9.57 uh, is imported power, uh, 4.33 is um, oil, um, and then solar and wind is Wind is one tenth of one percent, and solar's, you know, very. They're both very low. Right. So I just wanted to ask your opinion on the green choice, um, the sources for that, and things like Cape Wind. I understand that's not going to come online for several years, but just from your expertise, I I sail. I, I'm on the water and the ocean a lot, and I'm just wondering. Um, you know, hydroelectric, especially here in Boston with the tides in the outer islands and Quebec Hydro with importing power. You know, I know there was a transmission line that went to legal in Maine that was um, that was uh, not passed by the residents, but now it's it's being appealed. So um, what do you what are you envisioning for sourcing for green power um, in, in the Canton version of the supply sure. There are three tiers of renewable um, power sources. Uh, tier one uh, or class one uh, renewable energy is from New England. And that power is, um, so it's generated. The renewable power is the sources of the renewable power, whether it's wind, uh, hydro, solar are within the, borders of New England. Class two is uh, outside that border but with connecting uh, grids such as Canada, New York. Um, and then class three is, it's, a, it's generated somewhere else in the country, but we get through con contractual arrangements that are over my <clears throat> grid. Um, you basically get offsets for buying renewable power in Colorado or Montana and getting credit for it in New England. Um, so the goal of this program is to try to facilitate the development of as much local renewable as we can in local means within <coughs> New England, five New England states. 
Um, whether that comes from the Cape Shore off wind project or in Canton, we've had the, you know, the solar development project on the Pine Street dump. There may be local development opportunities that we want to incentivize to develop, uh, local green energy projects. But as, as I'll get into in the next part of the presentation, we also need to do that smartly. Um, many of the renewable options are pretty land intensive. You know, solar power to get the equivalent BTU, you know, energy content out of a solar panel versus a gallon of gas, you need a lot of solar panels. So there, it's uh, the state government um, is driving our targets, like how much renewable energy we need to purchase here in Massachusetts. And so that's kind of cascading down to the municipalities. And one of the reasons why this particular program is picking up steam, there's a lot more towns around Massachusetts that are applying for approval for this kind of program. Um, so hopefully, Gene, that uh, answers your question. I appreciate your um, support for the work. It is a lot of work. The committee's working very hard. They're very dedicated. And uh, it's going to be a great program for Canton. Um, and we'll just you know, do what we can to get this done on a timely basis, but there's a lot of steps to go through. No, no, I can tell that it's very evident. So thank you for doing that. And then just a comment, you know, working with businesses, there are three businesses that I know of in Canton that have uh, solar panels over their parking lots. And yes. planning board had a hearing last week at, uh, I believe it was 100 Dan Road is adding that. So, you know, there may be some opportunities for instead of fees or revenue share, to provide energy sourcing to Canton directly, I don't. I don't even know how that would work. But yeah. perhaps, perhaps um, you know, the town could could do some type of a permit fee waiver for inspectional services versus sharing some of the tapping into some of the energy when they come online. Does that make sense? It's great ideas. Yeah, absolutely. That's some. Um... Yeah some a, a real important example of why we need to be having these conversations with you know this group and others um, we need to get creative and we need to support the businesses in town and we need to be you know as responsible as we can with how do we generate power and as you all know ken's got a long history of innovation and industry and development going as far back you know with water sources are power. So I, I'm confident we can do this. It's just, we've got to do it in a smart, more, you know, efficient manner. And that's kind of where we come into the next phase of the presentation, Emilio. If no one else had any questions, I'm happy to get into that. I know we've got to be conscious of time as well. Just uh, two, uh, two quick questions, Tom, regarding the um, different uh, electricity choices. Uh, how reliant are the fixed rates for how many users choose that particular option? Like, obviously, each one of these has a fixed cost mm -hmm. um, to supplying the energy and delivering it. Mm -hmm. Where is there um, a, a situation where if not enough people or, or more people went into it, that that's how the fixed rate would be determined or would is that is it like a, a supply demand fixed rate 
based it, on how many people enroll? It is, fortunately, we're not the first town to do this. So there's a lot of data that shows, um, and, and it's basically a mandatory opt-in. And so it, it, you have to, you're, we, during the contract negotiations, it's assumed that all of the buildings and businesses and residential buildings are going to be brought into the program that are not otherwise in a different program. Because some some folks can, you know, they this uh, energy choice has been available in Massachusetts since 1997, but it's on a one one z two z basis. We haven't aggregated it like we are today. So, um, the good news to your question is the power suppliers that participate in these programs have a pretty good idea of how much energy is going to be they're going to have to supply. And they have a good, they, their energy portfolios are pretty, you know, they can contract out in time. These programs that we're talking about are really like one to three years. So these energy brokers and suppliers generally can lock into all their energy supply. They need to serve the demand for that period of time with a fair amount of certainty, knowing that most of the customers are going to be automatically enrolled. Um, there, so the one of the key pieces, the messages we have to get to our uh, residents and businesses is if you don't want to participate, you don't have to, but you do have to opt out. So otherwise, we'll assume that you're in and uh, that helps sort of the planning phase of it. And I, I think also to uh, just to clarify, I know we were talking about businesses and homeowners. I think the town government already aggregates its energy. They do. Uh, and how would the current aggregation that the town government uses um, be affected by this program, if at all? Uh, it's a great question. I, I would like to figure that out. So um, I haven't met who is responsible for the energy procurement for Canton yet. Um, but if, if you all know who that is, great. If not, I, it's part of my, I need to figure that out. And it would be contractually based. So whatever the town would have used, have working with a power purchaser on a contractual basis for some number of years to do that on behalf of the town. Mm -hmm. And so we, we got to try to figure out the timing of when that contract is being renewed relative to when this program may be available and try to, you know, see if the municipality, the municipal buildings could take advantage of this. But the idea is that this is absolutely a uh, opportunity for the town to um, take advantage of. That's what I hope happens. Uh, thanks. Did anyone else have any questions regarding the energy aggregation program before we move on to the um, sustainability action plan? Okay, great. So I think the agenda had this being wrapped up around 7.50. So uh, it's going to be hard for me to go through this in five minutes. Can I run a little long? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So one thing I just want to make sure that folks understand is the, the Energy Aggregation Committee and what we just talked about the scope of that committee is pretty well defined around the energy aggregation program itself today. 
um, are, I, I won't, I guess you can't call it a charter, but the sort of enacting guidance that we got from the select board is our charge is to sort of, you know, develop and implement the aggregation program. So everything that I'm presenting here is, you know, doesn't necessarily fit under the current construct of the energy aggregation committee. I will say that the four members and hopefully soon to be five members all have some energy background and are interested in expanding the scope of that committee to support, you know, the development and implementation of a broader sustainability action plan. But that obviously who owns that plan needs to be figured out. And um, Gene, I know, you know, you in your role as interim town planner, don't need another thing on your plate, but it's probably going to be, you know, we're going to need some help at the town level. Um, I don't know if you guys caught in the part of the previous presentation was this idea of an adder. So the, the way the program set up at the state level, we can request and the select board approved it at least to, to request approval from the DPU to include an adder in customers rates, you know, 0. 0.0002, you know, two cents per kilowatt hour to fund a sustainability energy management role within the town. Uh, so it wouldn't be a tax, you know, based budget line item that would necessarily need town meeting approval. So just keep that in the back of your mind that there's, there's going to be a need for additional resources at the town uh, level uh, to support both the climate, uh, sorry, the uh, energy aggregation program, which we are going to seek funding for, as well as a lot of this stuff that I'm going to be talking about next. So next slide, please. So uh, just quick overview. Um, I want to talk about sort of the trend that we're seeing at local and state government to develop these sustainability and or climate action plans. I'm using this analogy. So Gene, I used the two-sided coin the other day. I'm gonna use the three-sided pyramid today because of the way Kent has organized uh, the master plan includes energy, environment, and climate. I think the analogy will hold in this case as well. So examples of energy, renewable power, we just talked about. Climate is this municipal vulnerability MVP uh, process that Kent has gone through to, for sort of threats of climate change to our town. And then on the environmental side is stormwater management. Um, there's a lot of work being done in at the town level as well as uh, the Neponset River Watershed Association at the regional level is also looking at stormwater management. You, you don't have to drive far to see what bad storms could do to a town, just go to Norwood and see what happened to the hospital. You know, so that was a horrible example of what can happen with huge rain events that we've never seen before uh, and what it could do to our infra critical infrastructure. So we don't want that to happen to Canada. So I've got a couple of reasons why I think this is important. Um, you know, climate change is increasing 
as we increase the use of carbon-based energy, which is driving more severe droughts and flooding, which requires better freshwater and stormwater management and, and land use practices. It's all connected. Um, so I'm advocating more of a holistic approach. And Emilio, I really liked how you summarized uh, the shared priorities document kind of illustrates that, okay, there's a lot of stuff already on the books here in Canton that's related. Um, so there's a lot of real interesting funding opportunities coming around uh, at the state and federal levels. There's a lot of money out there coming down to help facilitate the municipalities implementation of these programs. As Tip O'Neill famously said, all politics is local. Well, all climate change management is local too. And I think the state and federal governments realize that if they don't have the towns doing what we're talking about tonight, it's not going to get done. So they know they need to fund our efforts. Um, and um, it's all connected, all same funding and just needs to be coordinated. It, what might not show up in my, uh, my sort of quick background is I'm, I'm a management system expert. I've spent a lot of time doing that professionally for years. Um, and I, I'm, I get the connections, right, on how to make these processes work as efficiently as we can. And I just, I can see there's an opportunity for improvement um, with this more holistic approach. So next slide, please. So we've talked, you know, Amelia did a nice job kind of summarizing where we are. So there's 27 action items in the master plan that relate to these three areas, energy conservation, generation, natural hazards, climate, and environment. Um, and many of them fit under this umbrella of sustainable climate action plan. So we've kind of hit that one. Let's go to the next slide. Um, these are just kind of visual representations of that list that we just looked at the previous slide. There's lots of state, as I said, you know, state initiatives and funding and expertise and technical assistance that's happening in all these areas. So the state itself has these, you know, the green communities program, the building codes stretch, you know, the, their brand new building codes that are being rolled out that Canton, you know, has an opportunity to look at. I haven't talked to Ed Walsh about this yet, and I'm sure he's aware of it, but, you know, that requires, you know, local bylaws to change. Um, around building codes. And then renewable energy and transportation, you know, the electric vehicles um, charging station, we already beat up renewables a lot tonight. So next slide. So that's on the energy piece. This is just a, a view of the um, environmental piece. You know, the vulnerability assessments, hazard mitigation, emergency response, land use and zoning. These are, there's just a ton of stuff happening around here that's like, you know, I mean, it makes your head spin, like, how do we manage all this? And so the idea is that, you know, we have some sort of system to sort of manage and, and sort of, you know, make sure we're not stepping on each other's toes. One silly example that, well, not silly, but, you know, relevant example that came up the other day, it's like the Energy Advisory Committee has this huge education outreach plan, and we have to list all of the different community groups that are going to need to be pulled into this 
to get the word out and make sure we're answering questions and, and we're required to do it. The DPU requires it and it's just good practice anyway. So um, if, if you look at some of these other programmings, uh, programs like this stormwater management program on the previous slide, they're select or they're soliciting the same kinds of groups, town groups, you know, the town departments, nonprofits, faith groups, schools, same groups are need to be kind of brought into that. So it's like, all right, you know, and I reached out to the town clerk recently in their office and like, do you have a list of all the different groups that we should be reaching out to? Wasn't readily available. So let's just create one list that all of us can use, you know? So it's just kind of using our resources more efficiently and knowing that the messaging to these same groups needs to be coordinated. Um, in my opinion. So next slide, please. So I pose, and we don't have time today, maybe we can, you know, figure out what our next steps for this, this committee to do, but there's a couple of basic, you know, questions that we can talk about. Um, Emilio, maybe for sake of time, if we can just like look, I'll, I'll read the question out and we don't necessarily need to talk about it, but they're relevant to this committee and sort of, you know, can answer some big questions about what's the point or purpose of an action plan and what does it look like? And in the box, the blue box, we've got, you know, very common is to measure, measurably reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, that's one example. So what's the point, you know, to, to measure greenhouse gas emissions? Do you, does it make sense to just kind of go through, there's three questions that I wanted to pose to the group and, and not necessarily, we don't have time to really talk about them. Would you like to just progress through the slides quickly for sake of time? Sure. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so why don't we go to question number two? Um, oh, sorry. Uh, this is just an example of those energy greenhouse gas emissions targets. So guess what? The Massachusetts uh, Energy and Environmental uh, Executive Office under Governor Baker has developed a Massachusetts-wide clean energy and climate plan. So the state has one of these things. And this gives you an example of what is it that they're looking to do. So the if you all have maybe heard of the term net zero, so the state has committed through the governor's office that we're going to be um, net zero carbon emission by the year 2050. Okay, well, what that means, we don't have time to explain, but in, in practical terms, it means that all these different rows going uh, far left column, power, transportation, residential heating, commercial and industrial heating, all those groups have to reduce their carbon emissions by, if you look at this third column, 2050 emissions by 93% one area, 86% another, 95% another. How the heck are we going to get that done from today to 2050? We're going to have to figure it out, and um, that's but that's what the plan is. It's going to be up to the towns in many ways to implement and drive these uh, changes in behavior. You know, these are 
structural systematic changes that have to happen to our entire economy for us to meet these goals without complete disruption of how we live our lives today. So these are significant, you know, the tidal waves coming. And I just want to try to help make sure Canton's ready for this as best we can. So let's go to the next slide. This is going to be question number two. What steps are involved in creating a sustainability action plan? What's involved? And this is, there's, the good news is this has already been done. Uh, we're, it's still pretty early in the development of the sustainable action plan life cycle around the country. I'd say within the last four or five years, it's really starting to pick up steam. So it's still pretty new, but there are some benchmarking efforts that we can model ourselves against. We, we don't have to recreate the wheel. So that's good news. Uh, and then the next slide, I think, is a good one uh, for question number three. What steps could the CEAC, you know, my committee and other stakeholders like you all take to determine whether Canton should develop a sustainability action plan? Does it make sense to do this for the town? And let's have that discussion. What's it mean? How much is it going to cost? Who's going to manage it? What are the benefits? You know, and do that kind of assessment. Um, and the good news about all of this, as I mentioned earlier, is most of it's already in the camp master plan. It's just what's missing, in my humble opinion, the main piece that's missing from the camp master plan is an actual percentage reduction of carbon, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. As an example, the town of Kent hasn't set that goal or that target yet. And the climate or sustainability action plan would be the kind of document that you would do that in. And then to reach that goal is all the stuff that the Canton Master Plan has outlined in it. So one of the downsides of not putting a sustainability action plan in place for the town of Canton is we're doing a lot of this stuff already. I'm worried we're not going to get credit for it. And that's going to affect our ability to get funding and do other, you know, I know Gene, you were talking the other day about the transportation uh, corridor, the I-95, and all the work that's going on around that, how that's going to affect Canton and our surrounding communities. There's going to be federal funding tied to climate change action plans that um, you're going to have to demonstrate that you're doing some of this stuff to get the federal funding that would go towards transportation projects and you know regional initiatives that are in our best interest to, to go after. So I know that's a mouthful. It's a lot on you guys. I'm happy to come back when we have more time and talk about it further, but that's essentially, I think, what I had to offer you tonight. Well, uh, well, thanks, Tom, for the, the presentation and a, a few thoughts uh, I had, and then I'll open it up if anyone has any questions, is um, that too, with regard to emissions, um, we also want to maybe think of how not just to reduce them through energy efficiency, but there's a point, and I think it's the environmental stewardship part of the master plan about maintaining the town's tree canopy right. and things like that. Because for folks that may not know, obviously trees are very good at capturing CO2. And um, actually, I think also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but also have a cooling effect yeah. on the environment if they're sufficiently numbered. 
Um, so, you know, that's another element that I'm not, you know, we could work on with regard to probably zoning is trying to figure out ways to help encourage um, some parts of properties to be more green um, as well. Um, and the other thing is, I think, uh, to your point about the plans, I think that having regional um, cooperation on these things will definitely be vital because obviously if Canton does all these things and not, not to say that our neighbors aren't, but let's just say a town next door or something is not doing it, those pollutants still affect our community. So, and we obviously it's a global climate issue. Um, so definitely the idea of the state is already working on having an action plan and that we can, you know, move to have that, I think, is actually a very good um, step in the right direction. Uh, with regard to the master plan about specific details, like the percentages, uh, the master plan was designed more to be principles. Um, and then, you know, kind of, so to, to make an analogy, like for instance, the constitution sometimes has like principles and then statute law kind of fills in the details. So like the master plan um, was designed to set out principles, goals, things like that. And it was assumed that other plans or more specific things would then um, hammer out those details. So definitely a climate action plan or something would be something that then could do that or a sustainability action plan. Um, and um, I think it was somewhat suggested already, but those type of plans and studies and things like that definitely help with funding. Um, a lot of you know people sometimes say, oh, why do you need to do a study or why do you need to do a plan? But this, I would think at least two good reasons. One is that then you have an organized approach to what you're doing that's been reviewed by experts, stakeholders, and so on. But also it demonstrates usually to state grant holders or others that there's a plan in place and that usually can be um, a, um, a caveat to getting you know, funding of a strict you know, requirement, sometimes even of getting funding. Um, so did anyone else have any questions regarding how, and definitely these are things that we can definitely talk about more at, at subsequent meetings at some point if the energy uh, advisory committee or even the sustainability committee has anything that they want us to specifically consider we can also um, you know consider um, recommending supporting specific actions um, that that may be helpful as well um, did anyone have any questions for Tom yeah um, so much of this is through you, Mr. Chairman, so much of this is is related to funding and whether or not we can get funding to implement a lot of these things and whether or not, um, you know, like use of solar. There's so many people that talking about solar, but they don't want to put it near or around their neighborhoods or whatever. You know, are we going to be able to get some of this stuff through? Um, in cities and towns and and use wind, solar, and other, you know, other features that we might be able to, uh, or need, but are we gonna be able to implement it? That's a great question. Remains to be seen, I, you know, Jean mentioned this, 
percentage of uh, renewable, I think, was it solar or wind that's on the energy? It's less than 1% right now. Yeah, I mean, less than one. but that's me. I mean, I'm sure your plan will have much higher numbers going, right? <laughs> but Bob, to your point, it's very land intensive. You know, you think we get lots of headaches at the CONCOM with people trying to do stuff with their properties inside the wetlands restriction zone. You ain't seen nothing yet. I, I understand that. And that's what I mean. And then, you know, it's, you know, right now, electric cars are so much more. Um, they don't have, you know, they don't have the ability to travel as far as other people, you know, our, our gas vehicles uh can travel you know there's a this i don't know i mean we're spending money and are we getting anything for our money <laughs> that's a good question you know and i'm i'm not talking against it but you know i don't know if anybody's thinking about that in reality right i think as well that they're emerging technologies and so i think you know the you know, there's a, usually to a lot of emerging technologies, there's a significant startup cost, there's a lack of infrastructure. And I think over the course of time, some of those issues may resolve themselves, particularly if, you know, the, the government, state, federal, as well as our own town, are committed to those goals, then you start getting the startup kind of seeding money to start doing these things, even if they're not initially profitable or initially um, uh, something that people would be inclined to do. You know, like if you look at, for instance, I think one of the problems uh, with hydrogen cars, when that was kind of the thing they were talking about is that, well, if you bought a hydrogen car, where would you fuel it? Because there's, you know, and to have a gas station put a hydrogen fuel tank or something, you would need to have sufficient cars to make that profitable, let's just say, as an example. And so, you know, a lot of houses today aren't wired to have, I think it's like a fast charge right. for a car, for electric cars. And so, you know, that's something that maybe um, needs to start being looked into in zoning or things like that to try to encourage at least the house to have some sort of system like that. But I think, you know, it's a long, I think it's a long process. It's, you know, um, uh, to to kind of, when you're trying to transition from, various systems that have been um, consistently used for a very long time, that all infrastructure is kind of built around them to kind of slowly unbuild that infrastructure and kind of wrap it around another infrastructure is going to take some some time. So and I think there's a, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, uh, an example maybe is cell towers. The federal government had to step in to allow cell towers, cell towers in certain areas. Um, I mean, we get questioned on the CONCOM all the time. We got the the um, um, federal government right now with the train tracks. You know, they supersede anything that you know is local. They can do what they want. But some of this stuff, you know, are we going to be stopped? I mean, our solar farms going to be allowed? Our wind, I mean, Gene just said seven to 10 years. I think you just said, Gene, about the wind farm down the Cape. Well, that that's, uh, yeah, the Cape Solar Project. They, they're in the process of buying land in New Bedford and Dartmouth. 
which will be the staging area for the for the mills for the windmills. Yeah. Um, my, my understanding it will be 2025 construction oh. and 27 they'll be online, but still five years away. Yeah. Is it crazy? Is it crazy to think like I know like Tesla has um, roofing panels that new new homes have to have you know that type of roof put on them to be you know self sufficient? Is that something that's so far out of that wouldn't be um, the the expense would just be so dramatically higher? I have no it's idea. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. What type of roof? So I know Tesla has solar roof tiles. Oh, oh. They, so it looks just like theoretically a, a regular roof, but it's generating the power. It's like, you know, could theoretically the town say, hey, new construction, one out of every two, you know, houses must have this. I don't know if the price is just so dramatically high uh, that it makes it prohibitive or not. I think that's going to be flushed out through the new energy stretch code that just came out. I don't know if they're specifically talking about the Tesla model, which very quickly, it's solar rooftop collecting system goes into your battery charges your battery and then the battery can be used to generate, you know, power in your home. And then there's the, to close the loop, you got the electric car, which is also a battery source. So Tesla's come out with a very innovative idea to kind of a closed loop system for your resident, whether that's going to be required through building code, which is the way to do that, um, to force builders to do certain, you know, to meet certain standards. I, I haven't looked at the new codes. To, to know that for sure, but that's, you're seeing things like that being required at the state level for that's going to affect local builders. Uh, best example I can think of, because I went through it myself, was two by fours. Now you're required to put two by sixes in. So, and what does that do to the price of your construction job? It goes up. Yeah. Who pays for it? Me. But the idea is that you're going to save more energy over the life of the house that makes it worth it to offset the extra cost to put the two by six instead of two by four back to Bob's point. Who's done that analysis and knows where's the break even point and all that stuff. There's a lot of unknown right there. Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, wind and solar. Has there been as much um, investigation of geothermal and is that mm -hmm. ever something? Cause I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk. Yes about how uh, space intensive some of those like solar state uh, facilities are and stuff. Is there a, a good amount of science on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's ironically climate-based, you know, it depends what latitude you live in or work in. Um, you guys might not know, but uh, the Massachusetts DPU has a case open right now looking at the future of natural gas. And if you followed the energy industry for the last 15, 20 years in Massachusetts, we've gone every new power generation source in Massachusetts has been combined cycle natural gas. So the question and lots of build out, I used to work in the natural gas business. And um, the question is, is natural gas going to be allowed to be used in the future? 
for a source of heating, hot water, energy generation, you name it, all the different uses for natural gas. And it, they're, they're literally asking that question, is the future of natural gas foreseeable future going to go beyond 10, 20, 30 years in this state or not? Um, and as a result of that investigation, the geothermal heat pumps is what you're talking about, Emilio. They're looking very closely at that as an alternative way to heat your home, not just to power it, but to also heat it. And uh, there's, you know, the technology is getting better, but it's not cheap and you need a backup source and at least today. So there's a lot still unproven, but I'm seeing lots of rebate programs and the, the market's getting ramped up because we're going to go electric at least at this point in the foreseeable future. And how do you heat your home is going to be a big question. And whether it's solar rooftop panels like Alan was questioning or is geothermal heat pumps yet to be seen, it's probably going to be a combination of both, but it's coming. So Tom, do you think, sorry, Alan. No, no, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Do you think, I mean, a, a number of years back, uh, a lot of the bus companies bought into um, natural gas buses. Right. Um, that was a big bust. It was. It, it, it appears. I mean, you know, they still have them. Yeah. Um, but what happened to those? You know, I mean, it's it's gone. You don't compressed see them talking about that anymore. Yeah. It's compressed natural gas vehicles. And uh, whether it's a bus, a van, car. Right. Yeah, it's they they're expensive and you need extra expertise on how to maintain a vehicle like that that's not readily available. And price of gasoline has been relatively cheap compared to the price of natural gas, at least until the Ukrainian war. So, you know, economics at play, the municipalities which had the main incentive to roll out natural gas compressed natural gas buses to mostly it was to clean up the air because the diesels are dirty but uh yeah there's a few still out there but it, it never really in school buses for example are still diesel okay, do you think electric is going to go the same way propane buses went or or natural gas buses uh if, if you can answer that question bob you're going to be a very wealthy person yeah <laughs> i'm just you know I, i'm just saying I, I know. I know. There's a lot of questions, but I would say this. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the Americans and human beings are very adaptable and we're going to figure out a way to do this. You know, we've gone from canals to steam trains to electric trains to the I, you know, interstate highway system. You know, it, it, there's it's we're going to continue to evolve how we live our lives, but it's not going to be without some disruption for sure. So, so Tom, like when I've gone out to like Palm Springs and you drive out there and you see, I'm going to say wind farm after wind farm. Hundreds and of last week on 60 Minutes, they did a, a segment on a part of um, England where they have um, the windmills and the seas. And literally, you know, the... I don't want to, I'm going to say half of this area in England is doesn't pay any electricity. Is it that they've been 
are, are there companies who are fighting wind mills in Massachusetts because they have a, you know, they want the gas, they want, is, is it, why hasn't it been adapted like 10 years ago? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I, I think Gene knows the answer to that question. It's, uh, there's a lot of not my backyard. You know, the deep water solar wind project off, what is it, uh, um, Martha's Vineyard or uh, what's the body of water that they're working on, Gene? Is it Vineyard Sound? Is that what Vineyard, it is? Vineyard, Vineyard Sound, yeah, between Nantucket and Martha's Vineyard. And you remember when it was shallow water wind farms and Senator Kennedy, you know, didn't want to look at it from his house on, uh, you know, Hyannisport. It, it went from shallow water um, from, Mar was I think that's Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard Bay, to now it's deeper water off of uh, Nantucket Sound to get it further away from people so they don't want to, they just don't want to see it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you, when you go to the town of Hull, they have these two huge wind turbines. Right. You know, I look at it, if your bill's going to be $50 a month versus $300, you know, you get used to it. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there it is right there, the pricing incentive. What are you willing to put up with? So it's a complicated issue. And, you know, it's we're we could go on and on. And sorry to hijack your meeting, Emilio, but. This is good stuff. So these are the kinds of questions that the general public is going to have about any climate action plan and anything that we try to do to facilitate the movement towards lower greenhouse gases is it's a live wire. There's a ton of unanswered questions and the federal government right now and the state government are moving ahead like it's going to happen. So I think it behooves the town of Canton to be ready for it as best we can. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Um, Emilio, do you will you have these um, the slides for the notes? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Mm -hmm. No problem. Uh, so, um, seeing no further questions, I just want to thank you, Tom, for everything you're doing with regard to um, advising the town on energy and promoting sustainability and conservation. And it's a lot of work, but it's all definitely worth it. And the the town, I think, is very appreciative. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks, the Tom. Thank you for educating us. Thanks. Have a good night. Okay. You Take care. You too. Um, so uh, let's see. So just a quick, a few quick things to to run through. Um, I had uh, spoken to uh, Christiane, um, who for folks at home that may not know, is the chair of the school committee and also our representative from the school committee. Um, Christiane Miranda, and um, she was telling me that there had been an incident in September where I guess a first grader was hit uh, on their bike by a car or something to that extent. And so she, uh, we were discussing trying to make complete streets and safe routes to school a, a bigger priority um, to try to ensure that those type of incidents uh, don't occur again or as, or as minimized as they can be. And um, I just quickly the um, the for, for folks at home, safe routes to school um, 
is designed to increase safety uh, for students walking and uh, riding their bikes to school and uh, in the community around the schools. And uh, it helps uh, the students um, stay you know, active and uh, it hopefully will boost attendance and, and reduce tardiness and things like that. And it, it's also geared to decrease traffic congestion, improve air quality, um, and there's a lot of opportunities that come with being part of the Safe Routes to School program, which the town is already participating in uh, to some degree. And um, it involves educating students and the public and building partnerships and evaluating the in environments and behaviors around the schools. And so one uh, one thing she was um, mentioning about that is possible interest in some additional traffic calming, although they're still working on kind of what their policy um, is. So one thing I um, thought I would ask, and, and just before I, I ask the committee, uh, just for a quick kind of thought on this, um, one of the things that is often in the, the master plan is safe routes to school and complete streets, particularly, and complete streets is broader um, it, it involves kind of making the streets safe and accessible for uh, people of all ages, abilities, and regardless of what mode of transportation they're using. So whether it be cars, pedestrians, bikes, uh, trucks, transit, and even uh, making uh, roads more accessible to people that have disabilities. Um, and so, and the town is also uh, has a, a um, complete streets plan and um, a, a um, prioritization plan uh, as well that they've already started to work on. Um, but um, I was thinking at some point in the future meeting, um, we may want to maybe have a try to one, one of the things I think that our committee um, can do is be a forum for um, cases where we can help with coordination. And I thought perhaps at a future meeting, we may want to have um, the DPW, maybe the traffic committee and schools kind of um, potentially offer this committee as a place where we could discuss complete streets and um, uh, safe routes to school. Um, and um, maybe at our, uh, a January meeting, because we Based on how we were scheduled, um, we've gotten into a, a, about a couple of month uh, conflict with school committee on their scheduling. So maybe at a time when this, uh, Elise Christian can be here as well. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask you is, um, what is the general opinion that folks have about traffic calming um, in general? Um, I'll, I'll I'll give my one comment. I think um, there's been a much more enforcement out there for speeding um, by the uh, police officers lately, which I commend. But I definitely, many, many communities that I go to, you see so many um, speed bumps to try to slow down the, um, the population. And I think Canton needs a lot more speed bumps put in in certain areas of the town just uh, for calming measures. I, I agree with you, Alan. Oh, go ahead, Amelia, I'm sorry. Uh, no, go ahead, Jean. No, I was just gonna say, I'm working with a neighborhood group in East Canton, which is up near Blue Hills Regional and um, 
uh, Massoy Community College, York Street. Um, and we, we have several recommendations. First of all, let me just back up and that the traffic committee um, just added two new members and there's also a new um, traffic officer who was just assigned by Chief Finland. So the traffic committee has not met in a while, um, but I believe they will be meeting soon. I will be appearing before them. But one of the issues is antiquated speed limits. Uh, just to give you an example on Randolph Street from the town line at Avalon Road down to across the turnpike to Randolph Street, the speed limit is 25. Um, believe it or not, I, I didn't think I'd say this, but I'm proposing an increase to 30 because cars routinely are doing 40 to 50 on Randolph Street. Uh, and there's some basic things like um, we, we need to, there's two signs, the entire length of Randolph Street on what the posted speed limit is. And then we also need to get some radar enabled signs that let drivers know when they're speeding. Uh, so I think there needs to be consideration of a town-wide speed limit. I know Randolph just did this. Um, and then in addition to Alan, I think what Alan said, I you know, speed bumps are, are good in the right spot. I would not want to put them on Washington Street or Pleasant Street, but, you know, maybe on Pecunet Street or maybe on, um, you know, Church Street, something like that. Areas where traffic has to slow down, the end of Neponset Street maybe. But the town-wide traffic needs to be completely overhauled, I think, just in my view from sitting in this planner's job a short time. So we can look at that and um, interact, Emilio, with you all. It's just my thoughts. Thanks, Shane. Uh, Bobby, do you have any thoughts? Uh, no. Okay. Um, so uh, I'll uh, I'll relay that um, those suggestions to Christian, and um, and you know we'll we'll continue to make that uh, a priority here to kind of promote something the town's already working on, and see if hopefully there are ways to. Yeah, better. Oh, Alan. Yeah, and Gene, I'll just mention, you know, some places that I've gone to, you know, you know, they actually, you know, they post your speed limit, but they do it like with the blue light. And it and it kind of really catches your attention. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize I was like 10 miles yeah, yeah. speed limit. I agree. So, so I mean it's just we all make we all go too fast, but we need to be reminded. I think, you know, using some modern technology to say, oh, wow, I really am going way too fast. Yeah, I mean, Randolph Street, there's not a town engineer now, which is a problem. Uh, the position's still vacant, and, and he was kind of the traffic guy when he was here. But my wife and I routinely walk on Randolph Street, and literally, you're taking your life in your hands. I, I've seen cars. It's one lane each way. I've counted six cars now passing on Randolph Street, which is a big problem. And we got two schools there. So it's a town-wide issue, uh, I just think, from what I see, um, that the town has to take comprehensive look at all areas of Canton um, and, and come up with a strategy and work with the police and the town engineer on these lights, the radar with the blue flashing lights or whatever. But it's a work in progress. So I'll, I'll support and work with this committee any way I can. Thanks, Gene. Very passionate. You can tell. Yeah. No, it's definitely it's a major it's a major issue to make sure that the streets are safe, particularly now that there are more um, people biking and things like that too. That you know the um, the lack of sidewalks, the lack of 
correct um, traffic signaling and um, even you know you look at uh, some of the 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 roads if, that have like share rows and you're very concerned for the person cycling that um, it's very hard for cars to pass them and you wonder if they're actually in danger even with the share row because you know if you don't have a dedicated and I, I know the, the roads are a certain width and it's difficult to to put in a, a dedicated bike lane sometimes and uh, you know a share row is an attempt to kind of meet halfway but you know sometimes even things like that if the speed isn't controlled the traffic isn't controlled correctly that can be very dangerous for cyclists as well and, and so um, so we'll continue to um, to work on that. Uh, and uh, just very quickly, the St. Gerard's Reuse Committee was formed. Uh, Jean's a member of that. And I've been working with uh, Jean to um, also facilitate at some point master, myself as a chair of master plan to attend one of their meetings once they start meeting. Jean, did you have anything you wanted to say regarding? Yeah, thanks. We, we, I spoke to um, the chairman who's Charlie Duty, and he definitely wants to include you in this committee's thoughts on that. Our first meeting is November 4th at the library. Um, and I think that's gonna be an organizational committee for us just to okay. decide what we're gonna do. Sure. Um, and then after that, you know, we'll, we'll pick the meeting, um, you know, frequency and then also get you on a future agenda. So there's no decisions have been made. I've heard several ideas. Bob, I'm sure you have as well on the building. Uh, and, uh, you know, I understand that there's some certain things coming up in the town that it might be used for, but I don't think anything has been um, decided. Gene, I see that the, the it's illuminated now at nighttime, the church, um, both outside and inside. Yeah. And um, is there a specific uh, reason for the inside lighting that you know of? Well, the power was off for a while um, and it controls the, I believe, the fire alarm system and some other critical systems. And it was put back on. And then I think the neighbors had some concerns. There was some feedback from the neighbors on Adrian Drive and Old Coach uh, about the building. At one point, it had red X's on the front of it, which meant it was safe to unsafe to occupy. And I, that didn't go over well, I guess. So there were some changes made. But again, we today's October 20th. So we'll have our meeting in the next two weeks, and I'll find out more information um, on, on all that. And I can address it at a future meeting. Great. Thanks, Gene. Thank um, any other questions on that? Okay, so um, the next item on the agenda is update on selection process for new town planner. I know I was talking to Bob on that. Obviously, Gene is our interim town planner, and he's doing a great job helping fill in for- Give him a big <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. <laughs> and you over a bottle of scotch for that kind of comment. I appreciate it. <laughs> Do we do we know if the town is um interviewing perspective? Right now, nothing. Okay. I'm aware of. My and, understanding and, is that the position's open and um, but you know, I, I I'll be here to help in the interim and get us through. Um, I'm working on some zoning articles now for town meeting with the planning board and with 
the town administrator and uh, to get ready for town meeting. And, um, you know, I think a new town planner coming in would really be handicapped, not really knowing, you know, Pleasant Street from Washington Street and all the things that need to be done. So there's a lot of urgent needs, especially with the new town administrator that we need to get going on quick that trying to help. So yeah, the position's open, Bob, that's correct. Yeah. And then uh, just uh, quickly, the, the um, some folks may be aware of the MBTA uh, communities law. Um, the, the state had passed a, a law requiring that towns that had uh, MBTA service, whether it be commuter rail like Canton does or subways or other forms of transit, um, had to at least have one district of reasonable size. I think it's about 50 acres for Canton in which multifamily housing would be permitted um, as a right. And with some, some minimum density of, I think it's about maybe 15 units per acre with uh, some other conditions. And it had to be within a 0 0.5 mile radius of an MBTA station. In our case, that would most likely be the two commuter rail stations. I'm not sure if the one in Westwood has any impact on that but as well but um so if if we did not comply with that we might find ourselves uh, not eligible for certain specific grants um, or things like that like housing choice initiative or mass works um i think also capital projects funders um, as well um the compliance would involve creating the zoning to meet the requirements um but it doesn't necessarily require anything to be built, just the zoning to be in place to have the capacity to meet the the up the proportions of our total housing that have to be multifamily under that law. Um, I know Laura had started considering some options just before she left as town planner um, to figure out where we stood, if we needed to take any action, if we wanted to take any action and so on. And uh, just recently a working group was created um, to look more carefully into pros, cons and what, where our town stood, where Canton stood on, um, on the transit oriented development requirements of the new MBTA law. And I know Jean as interim town planner, you're on that uh, working group. Um, was there anything you wanted to to say on that? I know it hasn't started meeting yet. I don't think. Well, we, we haven't started meeting. I made a presentation to the planning board and, and Lisa Lopez and I to the select board um, last week. Uh, just some background from Laura's presentation. It was originally rolled out to municipalities in April or May, March or April. There was There's 175 communities in Massachusetts that are affected by it. There was a huge outcry because there really wasn't a designation from a, 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 a city like Somerville or Quincy versus uh, Westwood or Canton, or even Fothero, uh, Millis and other towns that are very um, fairly impacted by the T. So the law was rewritten, the bill was rewritten and municipalities were given a date in late August and September. So the numbers have changed. Canton is in a uh, commuter rail zone so Emilio, you, you hit on everything. It has to be within a half a mile. Um, our numbers have changed. We're still going through that. I met with Kevin Shea. I don't know if you've heard his name. He's the new housing trust uh, gentleman. He and I had a cup of coffee yesterday morning. 
we spent about two hours going over housing stock and he's working on um, some compiling some data for the committee. So as we meet and have more information, uh, we'll share it with, uh, with this committee as well. Hey, thanks, Gene. Did any, Alan, Bob, any questions? Alan? Gene, like when I, when I drive around town, it just doesn't seem like there's any land that's available to, to really do anything near these commuter stations that we have. Is that, a, is that an accurate statement? Or... Well, uh, one of the things that's really helping us is the Paul Revere Heritage Center. Um, that that has and, and Bob, I see you shaking your head. I mean that that is within a half mile. It sits literally halfway between Canton Center and Canton Junction, and that's turning out to be a big inventory of our uh, of our um, housing that's considered within the realm of uh, qualification. Thanks. The other thing is uh, Laura had done a um, a big study lab here at Canton Junction. And uh, there's some opportunity over there, but you know, there's multiple people involved. It ultimately is gonna come down to this committee, uh, Charlie and the select board, the planning board, the zoning board, there's multiple entities involved. So to answer your question, Alan, yes, but um, you know, there is some opportunity that the committee's charged with looking at. So we'll, we'll uh, update everyone as we go through everything. But Bob, I know you, very familiar with the town, even more than everybody on us on here. What are your thoughts? Well, I I know that the uh, the um, developer just came in front of the town about um, transitioning from one building to a fifty-five and older. Yeah, so that that just happened. Yeah, so that will help in what we're talking about right now with yes. the MBTA. So that just happened. Um, it just was approved by the town. Um, you know what it was going to be was going to be condos and and retail. And uh, retail is kind of a tough industry right now, overall. Um, so they just approved the uh, last building to uh, I want to say fifty something units. Is it? Am, am I in the ballpark, Gene? I forget. Yeah, I I thought it was a little more than that. I thought I thought it was seventy. No, I think it's 77. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think something get, a bit more along that. Yeah, I just know that's going to be a big help in um, achieving some of the goals. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the thing I told the planning board and the select, select board is that it, there's a lot of fear that, you know, um, in six months we have to have all these units in. And that's not what this law is. This is basically a zoning law that each municipality is charged with setting up a developed area that is open to development. And the town doesn't have to build these units. As Bob was saying, this is a private developer. This 55 plus is, is not Canton money. The town has to give permitting authority. The town has to give authorization and approval, but this would be a developer that could come in. The town could, to a third party, come up with some options that would qualify perhaps veterans, senior housing, those types of things, but there isn't a you know a, a magic date that we need to have 1,500 more units downtown. This is more of planning, zoning, and a zoning law that allows for these units. So what we once we hit our threshold, we don't know what that number is yet, but we're done. So we we have some work to do, and we all are kind of working through the process. So I hope that explains a little better. 
And I think there's also, Gene, a, a deadline where the state has to approve a plan sometime next yeah. year, I think it is. January 31st, 2023, uh, the town has to file a report. And that's what the select board has charged this committee with. So again, this is a preliminary report. It's not like we have to have the units under construction or permitted by that date. It's a plan that working through town meeting and various uh, leadership organizations, uh, Canton has filed a plan. That's what it is. Thanks, Gene. Uh, any questions, Alan, Bob? Uh, I, I would just say, Bob, I, I thought it had to be Canton had to do it. So if it, a private developer did it, yeah, that, that makes it so much more tolerable for us. So thank you for pointing that out. Okay, so um, the next item on the agenda is the acceptance of the minutes, seeing that we don't have a quorum. Um, we can't do that this evening. Um, I did actually check with Tracy per our discussion, I think I think it was when we were discussing vacancies on our committee. Vacancies do count to the quorum. Um, so we have nine members, so our quorum is five. Um, so if there's anyone in the public that's interested in serving as our citizen at large, uh, please contact the select board and um, you know they can walk you through the process of uh, being a member. We also have a, um, a, a vacancy on a committee. Uh, so if anyone on those committees wants to participate. But um, so we will uh, move that to our next meeting to approve uh, the September 15 meeting minutes. Um, and so then upcoming meetings are November 17th, 2022 and December 15th, 2022. Um, so uh, for November, I'll, um, we've discussed the past meeting, various guests we might want to have. And so I'll try and figure out um, which one uh, might be uh, good for us to have in November. Gene, given what's going on with uh, anything that you've seen uh, as interim town planner, is there anything that it would be particularly good timing for November? Well, I'm going to try to play into a 10-year meeting again. You know, I, I, if you guys want me, I'm happy to come okay. and talk, answer questions or, or contribute anything I can. Um, let me think about a potential um, you know, a uh, person, maybe I know, um, Bob, you know, Josh pretty well. Maybe Josh is president of CABI would want to come and talk about business. I can ask him or Bob can. CABI is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year in Canton and is really the backbone. You know, the master plan is a huge business piece mm -hmm. that's zoning and development with our big areas. And I think Josh maybe would be a great speaker if he's available, but um, yeah, that, that, was, that would be just, yeah, we haven't, question. yeah, we haven't actually um, discussed the work section of a uh, business work section of the mass plan. I think since EDC was our guest back in last, maybe last February or so. So yeah, that would be something we could, if you think that would be a good, um, a good uh, guest to have, we can, we can do that. Yeah. If, Josh, if he's available. I think he'd be a great uh, speaker if he's available to attend. Okay. Uh, so um, while we, uh, so is there, not sure without a, a, a quorum if we need a motion to adjourn, but um, is there a motion to adjourn? <laughs> yes, Mr. Darren, I'd like to make a motion, then we adjourn the meeting of October 20th at uh, uh, 8.45. Okay. Um, and I'll second it. Okay. 
So uh, I'm an I as well. So I think we're three zero zero on the Bob McDonald, Alan Rappaport, and myself voting to adjourn. Thanks to Jean for um, being uh, willing to serve as interim town planner and for joining us at our meeting. And um, we look forward to you being at future meetings as well. And, um, and thank you to Canton Community Television for um, covering this meeting live and, and uh, have a good night to folks at home and to our members here. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Have a good night.